From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. What is the world made of, and is there only one of them? Let's go to physicist Sean Carroll, who is at the California Institute of Technology, which is where you have the job that Richard Feynman used to have, right? Well, the job is a bit of an exaggeration. Uh, He was a rather more influential physicist than I can hope to be, but I do have his old desk, which I think is kind of special. Well, that's pretty close. Yeah. So I'm just going to go straight to the question that I was going to end with, because that's the way you have to do these things. This is so complicated. The fact that everything is made of waves, which is at the center of your theory here, does that mean time travel is possible? Sadly, it does not. The waves that we're talking about, or wave functions, as we call them in quantum mechanics, they still evolve smoothly from the past to the future. So separately, in other aspects of my physics life, I've thought about time travel and whether that's possible. The smart money is that, no, you're not able to travel backward in time. Even though everything's made of waves and waves sort of propagate, and if you could outrun the wave, you could catch up with it, still no? Yeah, because you're made up with the wave, too. Everything is the wave, and the wave is still aging, just like everything else is. Okay, so let's talk about the wave. We, well, I learned back in the day that uh, there were little particles, you know, atoms and electrons and things like that. Uh, Quantum physicists have, have since come to understand that it may behave like a particle, but even the smallest particle is actually... A, a wave blips. It's it's oscillating in some way. Is that correct? Yeah. And this is something that, you know, it took a while for physicists to really wrap their heads around. But when we see in our mind's eye the stereotypical cartoon of an atom, right, with a little nucleus of an atom and electrons orbiting around it, it turns out that that is wildly unstable. Those electrons should spiral into the middle of the nucleus, and all of matter should just collapse right away. So that clearly doesn't happen. And the answer that people came up with is that that electron is not a little particle in an orbit. It's a wave that surrounds the nucleus, and that wave can actually sort of stay there in a stable configuration. But then you say everything, every single thing is, is, is made of waves. So if if that's true, what what is it, where is the energy source that keeps those waves oscillating? Because that, that means even when something is standing still, all those little molecules are actually waves that are continuously vibrating. Where, where do they get their energy from? Well, the nice thing is that energy is conserved. So uh, you can't really use your intuition from everyday experience where once you let up On the gas of your car, the car gradually grinds to a halt. That's because it lives in a world with friction and air resistance and things like that. But if you think about a little electron vibrating in an atom, there's no air resistance. It's too small, right, Right. to bump into molecules of air. So that electron just continues vibrating at the same speed until something happens to it. So that's, oh, I see. Well, that sounds like a perpetual motion machine, though. It's not? It's a perpetual motion machine in the sense that it can keep going as long as you don't extract energy from it. But, you know, that happens all the time. The Earth can perpetually orbit the sun. That doesn't violate the laws of physics. You're not creating energy. You just have a constant amount of energy that isn't going anywhere. Okay, your latest book is called Something Deeply Hidden, Quantum Worlds and the Emergence of Space-Time. And that's the, I guess, the most controversial thing about this, this wave theory is that it depends on there being many simultaneously coexisting worlds. So 
Could you just explain that to us? Yeah, I mean, the good news is it's kind of the other way around. It's not that you invent a lot of worlds to explain all of these waves. It's that the waves are there. That's what we need to explain the stability of matter and other successes of quantum mechanics. But there's a mystery, which is when you look at the electron, if you look at it very, very closely, it doesn't look like a wave. It looks like a particle. It looks like it has some location in space. So the traditional thing to do in quantum mechanics was to say, there's a set of rules that wave functions obey when you're not looking at them. And it's a very simple, straightforward set of rules. There's an equation that was written down and so forth. But then there's a whole other set of rules that you need to invoke when you do measure properties of an electron or something like that. And this has never been very satisfactory. Like, what do you mean by measure? Who counts as measuring and things like that? So Hugh Everett came along, he was a graduate student in the 1950s, and he said, if you have a wave that represents all the possible places you could measure the electron, what really happens is when you measure the electron, all of those become real. But what you're forgetting is that you also are a wave function and you evolve into a superposition of, I observe the electron here, I observe the electron there, and all the different possible outcomes. And they're all real, just in separate, non-interacting worlds. Now, I think I understand part of that because I read a lot of the book, but most people hearing that for the first time have no clue what you're talking about. Let me see if I can get at least extract something uh, comprehensible. What I got from the book was that, and this is the whole uncertainty principle, that you can either know a, a location or the amplitude, but you can't know both at the same time, right? The location or the velocity, that's right. You cannot... Or the velocity, In fact, I would right, go okay. even further than that, is that there is no such thing as the location or the velocity. These are possible outcomes of measurements, but they're not fundamental features of things when you're not looking at them. But, but why that happens is because these things you're trying to measure are a wave, but you, as the measurer and your equipment, that also represents a wave... And so the wave has to interact with the wave for the measurement to take place, and that is going to affect both waves, I guess. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, the two waves interact with each other, and that's, that leads to what we call entanglement. So the state of you and the state of the electron become related to each other so that there's a consistent picture where if the electron was seen to be here, you think you saw it at that place and so forth. But all of the parts of the wave now represent different copies of the universe where that outcome of the measurement is slightly different in every one. Yes. And does that mean that there are different copies of us just cruising along parallel to us but beyond our perception? It does. That's exactly what it means. In fact, in your body right now, thousands of times per second, there are nuclei of atoms that are radioactively decaying. And every time that either happens or doesn't, the universe branches into different possibilities. And so there are many, many, many copies of you being produced all the time. But where are these copies? Well, they're not located anywhere in space because, you know, space is located in them. I think the best way to think about it is all the worlds simultaneously exist and they all come from a common starting point. But there's no relationship up between them in terms of one is next to each other or anything like that. Are, are you simply saying that I, because of this decay and because I move around, I'm basically a, a different person from second to second? Or is it something deeper than that? No, I'm saying that there are many different copies of you, all of which are slightly different people from second to second. So 
the way that Hugh Everett put it is, it's kind of like an amoeba branching, right? An amoeba divides in two, uh-huh. and both of the child amoebas have the same memories and past records as the parent amoeba, but now there's two of them where there used to be one. Am I hopping between copies of myself, or is my consciousness always located in just one of myself? They're both separate people. So you can think of the amoebas, or I like to think of identical twins, right, that start from the same fertilized egg. You start as one person, and then you branch, you become two people. And once you're two people, those are two separate people. They go their own way. There's no sort of mystical connection between them in any way. They just share a common beginning. Right, but they're never going to meet each other, right? They're never going to meet each other, which is why it doesn't really make sense to think of them as being part of the same person. They're truly different beings. So what's going through the mind of the copy of me as I'm thinking something? What's going through the mind of my copy? Something very similar, but it depends on whether or not you even know that you've been branching. I mean, like I said, these quantum mechanical splittings of the universe into multiple copies happen around us all the time beneath our notice. We don't even know. Okay, uh, but there is a fun little app you can download for your iPhone, which will branch the universe on purpose uh-huh. and tell you which branch you're in. So you can say, you know, should I have pizza for dinner tonight or should I have spaghetti and meatballs? And in one branch of the wave function, you'll have pizza, and the other one, you'll have spaghetti. And sadly, you can't ever talk to your other copy to figure out which one tasted better that night. <laughs> I think I have that app. It's called the Magic 8-Ball, right? No, the Magic 8-Ball is classical. You need a quantum splitter of the I universe. See. <laughs> okay, so I was going to ask if there are quantum experiments you can do at home, so clearly there are. But what I still don't get is, so, so do I know whether I'm myself or just one of the copies of myself? Or does the copy of myself just wake up one day and suddenly have consciousness? That's the part I'm confused about. All of the copies of yourself have consciousness. They're all just people, just like you. You just happen to be one of them that is located in the world that you see around you. But everyone is equally real. We just can't ever talk to them and compare notes. All this branching that's going on, it strikes me where you're creating now pretty much an infinite number of of organisms. And, And this is happening with every passing Zeptosecond, right? So um, does the universe have room for all of these people? It does. I mean, that's a good question, but I talk about that in the book. The space of all possible universes could be infinitely big. We're not really sure. But if it's infinitely big, then it obviously has room for whatever you want. Even if it's finite, it's still really, 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 really big. There's no worry that we're going to run out of room for new universes, at least not any time soon. Now, part of uh, quantum theory in, it talks about um, what was briefly famous as the Higgs boson, these particles that permeate the universe. And, and they are essential. They're everywhere, right? I mean, without them, there wouldn't be mass or anything like that, correct? Yeah, that's right. I mean, that was actually the subject of a different book I wrote called right. The Particle at the End of the Universe. The Higgs boson was hypothesized back in the 1960s, and we finally discovered it in 2012. So to me... That's a wonderful testament to the precision with which physicists are able to make predictions far, far in the future. Right. But what it means is there's no empty space. There is always something there, which brings me to my next question. And that is, if we are, if we are, there is no emptiness and uh, there, there is this medium out there that is, is, and we're all waves existing in this medium. Could there be such a thing as a clairvoyance or, or, or psychic powers where you can, where you can, uh, Uh, get in touch with something happening at a great distance away from you? 
Well, there are, you're right, there are fields pervading empty space. This is a fundamental way that we talk about reality in modern physics, what's called quantum field theory. But sadly, the quantum fields still obey very clear rules, and some of those rules say there's no way for information to pass between two objects without it being carried by some physical mechanism, whether it's by light or sound or something like that. So no special way to get telepathy or anything like that out of the system. So someone is conspiring to keep all the really good secrets hidden, aren't they? Nature is doing that. Exactly right. I have uh, one final question for you. Uh, does your brain ever hurt thinking about all this stuff? My brain never stops hurting. That's part of the pleasure of being a theoretical physicist, because you're always thinking about the questions to which we don't know the answer. That's where all the fun lies. And do we trust ourselves with this information? If you finally figure it all out, I know that the classical mechanics has all been figured out, but if we finally gain a deep enough, a deep enough understanding of these uh, hidden worlds and, and multiple worlds, uh, will there be a way ever to control them? And is at that point, will we basically unzip the fabric of the universe and disappear in a massive flash? Yeah, I don't think that there's any issue of controlling them. I mean, there's no way that anyone has ever thought of that would give us the ability to even connect or perceive these other worlds, much less control them. So, you know, we might be able to figure everything out, but that doesn't give us infinite power over the universe. Uh, we're still very, very tiny pieces of a much larger cosmos. Sean Carroll, theoretical physicist at Caltech and the author of Something Deeply Hidden, Quantum Worlds and the Emergence of Space-Time. Sean, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that... I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.